Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we take our metal detectors to the beaches of social media to find you five valuable nuggets that you can sell at an antique store or keep them for yourself to gain value over time. This week, our dwellers are Tommy Boyce and Amanda Davis. Hello, Tommy. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Joey. Loving the metaphor today. So question for you. Um, This is kind of a personality test in a way, but if you're going to the beach, can you just go on a whim or does it take all day to pack and get everything planned out, like your lunch and everything? Or could you just go on the whim with a towel? I just need towel, sunscreen, and book. Then I'm good. Amanda? I go on a whim, but I go on a whim for the full day with all the accoutrements. So I'll go on a whim and on the way I'll get my deli sandwich, crucial for New York Beach. I'll get my towel, I'll get my sunscreen. I'm prepared, but spontaneous beach dweller. All right, well, I'm Joey Scarillo and this may surprise you, but I actually prefer a beachside pool. That says a lot about me versus a lot about you. (laughs) All right. Here are the five things. First up, Amanda kicks us off with a follow-up to the big story. Tesla CEO Elon Musk buys Twitter for $44 billion. Then Tommy sticks with Twitter, who reportedly are working on a vibe check feature. Then Amanda will share Reddit's new insights into the potential of Reddit ads. Tommy clicks on LinkedIn, who continue to see, quote, record levels of engagement. And finally, Amanda launches into Snapchat, who added 13 million users in Q1. Okay, let's get into the Elon Musk of it all. $44 billion to buy Twitter. Amanda, what's the latest? All right, this is probably the oddest sale of a social media platform, but we're going to try to make sense of it. Just last week, Twitter has accepted Elon Musk's $44 billion offering to buy the platform, which values Twitter at about $54.20 a share. After this news went through, Elon, our friend Mr. Musk, released a statement about why he's purchasing Twitter, basically stating that you know he thinks it's a bedrock of the functioning economy. And essentially, he wants to make it better with new features like open source algorithms, tighter spam controls, and more authentication for profiles. And to remind you all, this saga all started when Elon disclosed that he has a 9.2% stake in the company, meaning it's one of the largest stakes in the company. And he started polling his followers on whether he should add an edit button, if he should get rid of ads on Twitter Blue and things of the sort. And after this interaction, Twitter offered him a seat on the board of directors, which eventually fell apart because that would mean that that would stop him from buying a larger stake in the company. So this news comes to mixed reviews across the board. And I do want to mention that as of now, Elon does not actually own Twitter. This will take months to enact formally. There have been a lot of rules and agreements made to ensure that this deal goes through without a hitch, essentially. So we'll focus on these rules, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. But some of them just to mention are one, that Twitter can't acquire another company or sell off any of its net worth, which is pretty obvious. Secondly, Elon's not allowed to make random public announcements about the company, but he is allowed to tweet about the deal, which is a little bit odd. And then thirdly, Elon cannot tweet disparagingly about Twitter or its representatives. So we know that Elon loves a Twitter moment and he loves talking about his business forays. So candidly, the last bullet might be a little bit tough. And as from the time of this recording, there's actually been conversation around if he's already violated that last agreement as it goes through finishing the contract for this. So for some context, there have been some tweets circulating around Twitter executives that have criticized some of their movements. And Elon has already showed support and responded to some of these tweets. We've 
we've seen he can't really stop tweeting about Tesla. So I'm not totally sure if this deal will continue over the next few months, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Definitely not a projection, but I will say it's it's early days. Very odd situation. Very odd rules of agreement. Is there still a chance that this could fall apart, Tommy? I think there very well could be a chance this falls apart because of that reason. And as of last night, I started seeing tweets circulating that this deal actually might not go through in the long run, that this just would be either rejected or Musk would back off because of this last reason and other like sort of accoutrements with the deal that maybe we're unaware of. This is all just like general insanity. We expect Musk to be insane on Twitter, but I expected him to use Twitter as a way, as he has previously been doing, to you know forward his own success with Tesla and his own personal brand and not being able to do so. I wonder how attractive this makes a deal for him right now. Yeah. Amanda, is there any other thoughts on this? Yeah. And some of these agreements really have to do from a legal sense, but there's also a financial aspect to it too, in that for Elon to garner the money to purchase the platform, he had to take out loans. And I think that the loans would be equivalent to something between 10 and 20% of Twitter's evaluation. So there is a lot at stake. There is a lot that that could be lost and to Tommy's point might be at risk that might not finalize this deal. So as much as this might seem like a formal official deal, there's a lot of background that needs to happen for this to make sense and, and be officially concluded. So just last question on this. Is there anything that if you're a brand that you're specifically keeping an eye on here, Tommy? I would keep an eye on how Musk's approach to free speech will affect the platform. One of the reasons Musk keeps mentioning why he bought Twitter was to allow for total free speech, which obviously is currently allowed on the platform, except for, you know, death threats, harassment, things like that. If he opens the gates to that, I wonder how the user experience of Twitter will be and if it will keep being, you know, sort of a hospitable environment for users. If it starts being a wave of just like negative sentiment or backlash or things like that, I wonder if brands will still... I mean, obviously, this is pretty like extreme, this scenario. But if it does happen, brands might need to evaluate whether or not they want to keep using the platform in the way they have been doing so. So I think it's just like keeping an eye on what these changes actually mean for the user experience and how how it will affect how things show up or the conversations that will keep happening on Twitter. Yes. And we will keep a close eye on this because we love Twitter and, you know, you just can't not talk about Elon Musk. All right. Let's stick with Twitter, who are reportedly working on a vibe check feature. Tommy, I can't imagine anybody better to tell me about a vibe check feature. Break it down. Yes. Yeah, so Twitter is reportedly working on a feature that allows users to set a status, which is codenamed Vibe. This is the Vibe check. So basically, it's a status field pop-up that happens above the actual tweet composing box. And it's a drop-down list, which has... So far, we've seen it because this is found from a user online. Five preset vibes, including shopping for groceries and driving on the highway, which are fun, I guess. At the time, it's still unclear if statuses will be limited to preset options or if users will be able to add custom updates beyond what Twitter creates. This feature is a bit reminiscent of Facebook's feelings that could be added to posts and other similar feature that was on the now defunct Instagram threads messaging app. Remember that? I do not. And vibes could be on a per tweet basis, which each tweet having its own vibe or on a profile level with a status appearing on tweets and on the profile view. Twitter users attending a conference or live tweeting from an event often already change their display name to indicate where they're going. Are they vacationing? Are they at South by Southwest? So profile level status could actually mimic that sort of practice. In an image shared by the user who found the feature, 
They had a placeholder status stating that they were listening to AG Cook, which first of all, taste. But it seems like that aspect harkens back to sort of Facebook's primordial feature, the status, which is certainly interesting. And Twitter did not reveal when, if ever, the feature will go live. But as, if custom statuses do become an option, a whole bunch of other questions need to be answered, like what kind of statuses will be allowed and how bad vibes will be moderated. So I'm a little unsure what the goal is with this test. It certainly looks like Twitter is trying to increase engagement beyond just tweeting. And this is a very easy way for users who do not tweet to still participate and engage with the app. And it could lead to you know maybe conversations over DMs or tweets about statuses. I'm not sure besides that. But if there are custom options, I'm sure that brands will be able to have fun with posting their own statuses that tie into campaigns, events, their products, etc. So we'll just have to see what this feature ends up looking like if it does ever come out. It's almost like a tweet on a tweet or an away message, if you will. I love it. I think this is really cool. Amanda, what do you, what do you think of this new feature? I'm curious to see how and if it's adopted. I tend to think that the features that Twitter adds that try to simplify the communication on the platform usually are, are less native to how people use Twitter. People use Twitter to kind of explain things and have a little bit more nuanced conversation versus simplifying it down into things like a status or a vibe or something like that. So I, I'm curious to see if it's picked up. I'm not saying it won't be, but I, I think the beauty in Twitter is that there is kind of a deeper layer of communication there. All right. Well, let's stick with this vibe and jump over to Reddit. Amanda, tell us about their new insights into the potential of Reddit ads. Reddit has released a white page report on some insights into how their users engage with the platform and specifically branded content on the platform. They broke this out into two kind of macro topics. The first being that the users here are very active. Behavior-wise, Reddit users tend to be more engaged and interactive with content versus just passively scrolling through and consuming content. Specifically, it was mentioned that 22% of users intentionally seek out content versus just receiving you know, what they're served from an algorithm or from their subreddits. So not only that, but they also want and seek opinions on brands and products from other Redditors on the platform. 90% of users said that they reportedly trust the platform to provide them with recommendations and information around trends and products that help them make purchase decisions. So again, much less of a passive audience here and much more of an active engagement in content that helps brands understand what kind of ad units would be successful here. Secondly, they outlined that success really looks different on this platform than other platforms. Ad units on Reddit do more than just serve an ad and measure clicks from there. The behavior of the user is more so that when a Redditor sees an ad, they tend to start a conversation or join a conversation around that topic or around that product to learn a little bit more about it before making a purchase decision. Redditors really trust in their community to substantiate and validate what an ad is saying, which may take more than a few steps of serve an ad, click the ad, and purchase the product. Reddit also claims that ads on the platform actually build brand love more than perhaps on other platforms. And I will read these stats the way that Reddit has released them. They're a little bit confusing, but to simplify it, Reddit adds drive 50% more trust, respect, and love for the brands. This comes from their white pager. And 56% of Reddit ad viewers talked about the brand positively after purchasing. So all to say, I think we can all agree that Reddit is a really powerful platform, strong sense of community. And I will say that sure, we may consider them a social media platform, but we and Reddit themselves should really push to think slightly outside of those typical metrics that we see on other platforms. It's easy to want to have consistent metrics for ad units 
it's across things like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok to measure effectiveness. And I feel that this report was trying to translate through that lens of how we measure on other platforms, but it didn't really do justice to the uniqueness of the platform. And I think as marketers, we really need to take into account that we should treat this platform much differently than what we would consider traditional social platforms and and serve our ads in a way that feels right for this audience. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Tommy, was there anything in this report that jumped out to you as kind of new or revolutionary from Reddit? I think the report got at a major thing with Reddit, which is that you really have to view it as a platform far different from the way you view Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can kind of carry over your thinking from those platforms, especially Facebook and Instagram together. But Reddit is its own entire thing that doesn't necessarily... Again, engagement won't necessarily be your friend on the platform. It's more curating a positive sentiment. And I think it's such a specific community and online space. And also Reddit is one of the largest search engines on the internet. So many people will ask a question and then add a Reddit to the end of it to find a thread. I do it all the time to find like little technical questions or just like regular like, I don't know, restaurants in New York or whatever. And so I think it's really just highlighting how much of a different beast it is, but also the really positive values that come from its sense of community and the way that Redditors trust other Redditors and how people really believe what they see on that platform. So it's just a different kind of platform, but one I think could be really powerful when used in an effective way. Yeah, it's interesting to see what could happen when you have a conversation around an ad itself, um, especially for our industry, just to see how people react to it, fans of the brand, how they feel about the work that we're doing. All right, let's jump over to LinkedIn. Tommy, tell us about their record levels of engagement. So Microsoft shared its latest performance update, which also included the latest info on LinkedIn status and how it's growing amidst the shifting post-COVID job market. And it looks like LinkedIn's doing pretty well. It saw a 34% year-over-year increase in revenue while also continuing to see record levels from Microsoft, that's a quote, of user engagement. LinkedIn sessions grew 22% in the last quarter, underlining you know, a pretty steady rise. And Microsoft also reported, again, record levels of engagement growth in the app for eight straight quarters. So big focus on LinkedIn has been adding more tools to help creators and job hunters maximize their opportunities for connecting and building a network. The work from home shifts and the effects of the pandemic have really caused LinkedIn to become sort of like even more of a connected platform where users are able to showcase their professional capabilities and skills, while also helping employers find better matches for their open roles through its you know HR recruiting tools. And it looks like this is all working. And with more users comes more interest from advertisers, obviously, hoping to further boost LinkedIn's revenue growth and engagement. So I think in the future, we'll see the platform focus on this same area with improved integration of live stream events and tools that will help enable new types of expression for creators. LinkedIn Stories famously didn't stick around, but I'm sure that other tools will be in the work like that, along with buffing out its existing newsletters and additional subscription options. So LinkedIn may not always be the first place that marketers think to go to, but the stats speak for themselves. And if you're looking to reach consumers in these areas, LinkedIn could be offering something beyond the B2B reach that it's known for. So Amanda, are you surprised by the growth on LinkedIn that we've seen? Not really. And I know we've talked about a couple of different use cases that LinkedIn has seen post-pandemic. And again, I think we have this tendency to consider it a job search platform first and foremost, when really it needs to be considered much more of a social platform and a resource sharing platform and an information and education platform. And when you start to see those things intersect, you start to see the opportunity that it has that really no other platform, website, social media, channel can really hone in on. They have a very unique white space that 
I think will continue to grow and, and become more valuable as the workforce grows, especially the younger workforce. Yeah, we really like that about LinkedIn, that it, it has its very specific, like you said, focus and stays the course and doesn't try to be too many other things. So yeah, this is great. Great news for them. All right, let's jump over to Snapchat. Amanda, tell us about their added 13 million users. Similar news for Snapchat. They've added 13 million more daily active users just in Q1 and also shown revenue gains up to $332 million, which proves out that they are monetizing these users really well and what they're launching on the platform is working. It's worth noting most of these new users are coming from Europe and Southeast Asia, and most of this added revenue is actually coming in from North America. We see this with the focus on their new AR trends, their Creative Lens Studio, and their ongoing content and media distribution that we see in Discover. It's also worth noting that they've launched a lot of really great dynamic ad units that directly link to product sales. So we've seen this show a lot of success for brands. They've also launched a lot of new dynamic ad formats that help brands actually directly link product to the user and drive sales in this way, which has actually tripled revenue year over year for the platform. The last piece to note from this report is that Snap has also consistently aged up the total daily time spent by the 25 and up age demographic has grown 25% year over year, which is a huge leap. And we see this user base, one, being adopted more so by Gen Z, but also at the same time aging up and bringing more generations into the mix. So as we see Snap continuing to evolve its AR and potentially VR capabilities, we'll see this innovation come from the community creators with the Lens Studio and with this tech forward approach that again taps into the creators versus needing to lean on the platform to innovate and add new user features. I do think their challenge will be to continue figuring out how to monetize the time spent there, given that it's mainly a messaging app, and also how to make sure their technology R&D costs don't outweigh the use case for creators or users that leverage it. Yeah. So Tommy, broad strokes, if you were to guide a brand, what type of brand would you push towards the dynamic ads on Snapchat? I would recommend that clothing and makeup brands really take advantage of Snapchat's platform for dynamic ads. I think that being able to offer their entire product catalog and through Snapchat's use of AR with clothing and with makeup that are being integrated, I think we're going to start to see people really adopt that sort of trying on look, just like face or clothes from the platform. And now the people can message their friends and really be part of the... We talked before, Snapchat really is a part of the buying process. I think that brands who take advantage of the platform in this way will see a lot of success in doing so. Yeah, all very exciting. A lot of great updates this week. Thank you both. All right. So I also want to thank our listeners out there and anybody who voted for Gray Matter for the Webbies, because we just found out last week that Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, won the Webby voted by the jury for best creativity and marketing podcast, as well as the People's Voice Award voted by you. So we want to thank you listeners and supporters along the way. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, The Five Things, share us, The Five Five things and write to us the five things at podcast at gray.com. Again, I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us. Thanks to Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes for making us sound awesome every week. And thank you again, listener. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The five things are written and researched by the social and connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray 
is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.